All right. So if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Tabor, and uh, most of the sun. Most of the year, you're going to hear me up here preaching, and uh, that's, that's what I love to do, so that works out well for me. We also want to say good morning to everybody who's joining us on Facebook Live today. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. We know that you'll probably watch several times before you'd ever consider actually coming in person. We're good with that. If you've got any questions about Tabor, feel free to send us a message. We'll work through those things with you. Uh, I want to let you know that starting the week of March 1st, we are going to have our spring small groups. I love this time of year. I love when we do this in the fall, and I love when we do this in the spring. So we're going to have an eight-week study through the second half of the Gospel of John. And here's our goal. We're going, we're going to talk about what it means to live life in the arena. We've said so far in the Gospel of John that Jesus stepped into the arena of life for a very specific purpose, to redeem us and save us, to call us not just to a better life, but to call us to a new life, a new life where we live and serve in the arena as well. And so we're going to spend the, the eight weeks in our spring groups studying what it looks like to live in the arena. We're going to have groups that meet all over, Orange County, Washington County, all over the place, and then on different nights of the week. So there's a group that's convenient for you, both in location and in time, and we'd love for you to get signed up for one of those. Um, that'll be, especially if you're new, a great way to start making some connections here at Tabor that'll be really valuable uh, for all of us. So the registration for that is open. You can go to mtcchurch.org slash adults. And then there's going to be a button for the spring groups page. Or if you're into hard copies, in the hallway, uh, in that uh, west hallway there, there's going to be all of the different groups that you can sign up for on a, on a hard copy. Um, so those are going to be starting March 1st, and I want to encourage you to get signed up for one of those. They're going to be a great, great time. One more thing before I start preaching. Today is the, the first Sunday in February. And uh, I just want to encourage you with something. Since it's the first Sunday in February, that means we have gone all the way through January. And for some of you, you did the Bible reading plan all of January. And maybe that was the first time in your life you read the Bible every day for a month. And if you did that, you read all the way through Genesis, most of the way through Matthew, and have done some serious work in the Psalms and Proverbs. And I just want to encourage you, well done. That's awesome. Uh, we are well on our way to reading the Bible together as a congregation this year. And I want to encourage you if maybe you missed a day or two. Can I just tell you something? That's okay. That's okay. Don't take this too seriously. It is not the end of the world. If you miss a day, you will be okay. But don't let one day turn into two days and don't let two days turn into three months. Okay? It's okay. Relax, take a deep breath, and pick it back up. Or maybe you started off the year strong and you quickly stumbled. Can I just tell you that today is a really good day to start reading the Bible again? All right, start on February 2nd. You're going to be in the book of Exodus and start reading your Bible today so that as a congregation, we can grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and what it looks like to live out 
the Word of God on a daily basis. If you need another copy of the reading plan, I'll be happy to print one out for you, or you can find one on the church website. All right, I'm going to start preaching now. Some of you are going, you've been preaching for a long time already, and I've got lunch plans, so I've got concerns. So um, none of that counts as my actual sermon time, okay? The clock starts now. Deal with it. Move your plans. All right. I want to I wanna start with a game today as we, as we begin our sermon. And here's the rules for the game. I want you to close your eyes, and uh, I'm going to tell you Uh, a well-known character or person, and I just want you to visualize them for me. So, okay, so eyes closed, nothing weird and spiritual is going to happen, okay? Just just, uh, think about what I'm about to tell you. Mickey Mouse. Think about what Mickey Mouse looks like. All right, you got got an idea in your mind? Okay, you can open your eyes. Um, For most of you, it probably looks something like this, Right? Okay, uh, some of you may have Steamboat Willie in your mind, but for most of us, when we think about Mickey Mouse, this is the guy that we're thinking of. Very good. Let's do another one. I want you to close your eyes. Again, nothing weird, nothing spiritual is about to happen, no snakes. Uh, I want you to think about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. All right, go ahead and open your eyes. Probably a few more differences, a little bit more variety in what you thought of, but ultimately pretty close to this, right? We're, we're familiar with what Abraham Lincoln looks like. That may be even the, the one that you thought of. Um, I want to do one more. I want to do one more. I want you to close your eyes. Think about what Jesus looks like. What does Jesus look like? All right, you can go ahead and open your eyes. A lot of different things you can think of here. A lot of different moments in the Gospels that may come to your mind. But if you were to just consider Jesus and what you think He looks like, for some of you, this is probably the image that came to your mind. (laughs) And I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's just a little bit feminine. I think what happened here is his buddy took his picture so that he could upload it to Instagram and Facebook, and he paid really close attention to make sure the lighting was right in this picture. I think that his hair is unrealistically good. Like, he just stepped out of a Vidal Sassoon commercial, right? I I think that this guy knows how to order a non-fat, no-whip latte, and I don't think he's ever had dirt underneath his fingernails. And if that's the picture that comes to your mind when you think about Jesus, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. None of those things. I'm just telling you that this picture of Jesus doesn't work for me. That picture of Jesus doesn't work for me. And here's why. Because if I'm personally and professionally frustrated and life is just hard right now, I don't know if that's the guy that's going to help me. If I need help ordering at Starbucks, that's the guy. If I need a new shampoo, that's the guy. But if my life is hard and I'm struggling, I don't know if that's who I'm turning to. If my marriage is on the rocks and all I feel like we do is argue all the time and I just don't know if the way forward is going to work, I don't know if I want to go to that guy. If I have a relative who is just diagnosed with a terminal illness, I'm not sure if that's my guy. That may be who you think of. 
when you hear the word Jesus, but I want to tell you this morning that that's not the Jesus that we meet in the Bible. That's not the Jesus that we meet in the Bible. The Jesus we meet in the Bible is a man who's perfectly willing to step into a difficult situation because somebody needed help. The Jesus we meet in the Bible is always ready to have a difficult conversation so that someone could begin to heal. The Jesus we meet in the Bible stepped into the arena of life to heal and redeem broken people. And today I want to introduce you to that Jesus. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to start in the first verse. Uh, I'll have it up here on the screen for you if if you'd like that as well. But here's what we read. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and, and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. But let me just pause for a second. I just want to point out something really obvious. Jesus was tired. You know why Jesus was tired? Jesus was tired because he spent the whole morning walking over rough and rugged terrain in Mediterranean heat with his disciples. And so if your image of Jesus is this, you might think that when Jesus went places, his disciples carried him on a cot and they had like an umbrella that covered it and Jesus just kind of went from place to place. That's not what happened. Jesus was walking with his disciples in the heat and he was tired and hot, and he was weary, and he wanted a break. Jesus didn't come into the world to be carried around. Jesus didn't come into the world to be served. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So soon, a Samaritan woman came. She was going to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And this woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why why are you asking me for a drink? We're going to stop here for a while. There are a lot of reasons why this conversation should never have happened. There are a lot of reasons why this conversation should never have happened. And if Jesus took his cues from the world around him, they never would have. First of all, there's this thing, there's this problem between Jews and Samaritans. And so I want you to do this exercise with me. I want you to think of like the worst possible conflict you can imagine. Uh, It's worse than Hatfields and McCoys, worse than wearing a West Washington shirt to Salem, worse than wearing a Salem shirt to West Washington, worse than all of that, right? It's worse than wearing an IU sweatshirt to Purdue or a Purdue sweatshirt to IU. It's worse than that. It's worse than wearing a Bernie shirt to the GOP convention. It's worse than wearing a MAGA hat to the Democratic convention. It's worse than all of that. Jews hated Samaritans. Now listen, listen, listen. I know the Bible doesn't really speak favorably about hating. You know, it's like there's kind of strong language associated with this idea of don't hate people. The Jews hated 
the Samaritans. We can read in ancient literature that the Jewish religious leaders actually prayed that God would not hear the prayers of the Samaritans. I don't know what kind of problems you got with different people in your life. I don't know what kind of conflict you've got going on right now. But I bet that you haven't resorted to praying that God wouldn't hear their prayers. If you have, let's talk. All right, We, we can work through that. And we can resolve that conflict. But the Jews hated the Samaritans. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. They didn't talk to Samaritans. In fact, any self-respecting Jew wouldn't even go through Samaria. So they, Judea and Galilee were two major points. Right in between them, this big problem area called Samaria. And the shortest distance between Judea and Galilee is Samaria. Any self-respecting Jew wouldn't do that. They wouldn't walk straight through. They would add tremendous amounts of time to their trip to walk around so they wouldn't even step on Samaritan soil. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. Jesus is in a region no self-respecting Jew would enter and He starts a conversation with a Samaritan. It's interesting to me that the Jewish religious leaders prayed, God, don't hear them when they speak. And so what does God do? He goes into Samaria and starts a conversation with them. Here's what I need you to know this morning. This Jesus, this Messiah is a Messiah for you. He's not a Messiah for self-respecting religious people. He is a Messiah for everyone. Even if you're outside of the religious community. And then there's this issue of the Samaritan woman being, uh, well, a, a woman. That's a problem culturally. Men didn't talk to women. Women in this time were a, a step below men. It was undignified for a man to talk to a woman in public. I'm not saying I believe this. I'm just telling you how it was. It was undignified for a man to speak to a woman in public. But Jesus doesn't care what dignified people think. Jesus cares about giving dignity to people. You hear the difference there? between religious people and Jesus. Jesus doesn't care what dignified people think. Jesus cares about giving dignity to people. I love that about Jesus. And I don't know what you've been feeling about church or what churches have made you feel about yourself, but you need to understand this. God thinks you are the most valuable person in the world. God thinks you are the most valuable person in the world. And because of that, we do too. We do too. Let that be the thing that gives you dignity. That the God of creation thinks you are infinitely more valuable than gold or silver. By the way, I'm not, I'm not just sharing my opinion here. This is not like Tony's off-track opinion. I have proof. And here it is. It's John chapter 3 in the 16th verse. Jesus said, God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. You are the most valuable thing in the world to God. Because of that, we think you're valuable too. This isn't a place where your past will be held against you. 
All right, so if you're, if you're new here, I need you to understand something. This is not a place where your past will be held against you. This is a place full of people who have a past and rejoice in the fact that God has given us a new future. That's what the church is. A group of people who have a past and are rejoicing in the fact that our future is different by God's grace. One more reason this conversation shouldn't happen. This woman, she comes to the well in the middle of the day. People don't go to the well in the middle of the day. I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Middle Eastern uh, climatology today. Uh, in the middle of the day, it would have been very, very hot. See, you came to church and you learned something today, right? In the Middle East, in the middle of the day, it'd be very, very hot. You all can just shake your head in profound wonder at this amazing insight that I have revealed to you. People wouldn't go to the well in the middle of the day because it'd be too hot. And if you're carrying water, another little known fact, water is heavy. Again, amazing insights for you today. Make sure you're getting this down on your notes. It's hot out in the middle of the day. Water's heavy. So if you're going to get water, you're going to get all the water you need for the day early in the morning before you have to carry this heavy thing in the heat of the day. There's only one reason a person would go to the well in the middle of the day. It's because they were ashamed. It's because they were ashamed of their life and they knew that everybody they saw along the way would know about their life and would cast looks at them and condescend and look down on them and say mean things to them. There's only one reason you go to the well in the middle of the day. It's because you're ashamed. And that's where this woman finds herself. At the well, in the heat of the day. She goes so that nobody will know she's there. She goes at this time so that way she can sneak in and out unseen. And I'm just wondering how many of us are at the well at noon right now. How many of us came to church that way today? I'm sure you're at church, but your goal is to not be seen. Your goal is to not have to talk to anybody or leave without hearing anything that confronts you. You're just going to the well at noon. And if that's you, I just want to challenge you that Jesus wants to have a conversation with you today. Jesus is trying to start that conversation with you. To the woman at the well, He said, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because His disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised for Jews. They refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are, you, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. This Well, it's pretty deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, don't, don't you... Do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anybody who drinks this water, they'll get thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she says, please, sir, give me this water 
then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You know what's happening here? If we were to contemporize this part of the conversation, bring it into our modern language, what's happening here is this woman is coming up during the invitation hymn. Right, we're singing, just as I am, and she is ready to get baptized. She is ready to place her membership. She's saying, I want to follow Jesus. Sign me up for a small group, and I'll help prepare communion. And the preacher part of me is going, this is awesome. This is awesome. She's ready to commit. I don't have to answer any difficult apologetics questions, no complicated answers for difficult questions. She is just ready to commit. But Jesus understands something, that her yes was just going to be a surface level yes. That there was something that still needed to be addressed. And so Jesus takes this conversation that is surface level awesome, and He makes it infinitely more awkward. He says to her, go and get your husband. So she shifts her weight and shuffles her feet for a second. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with right now, you're not married to. You certainly spoke the truth. And so Jesus is more concerned with your health than maintaining your comfort. This is Jesus confronting difficult subjects head on. And I'm just going to be honest with myself. I think I'm a little more nuanced in the way that I approach that conversation, often to my detriment, that I ease my way into difficult conversations and not as productive as Jesus is. Jesus isn't passive-aggressive. He didn't talk behind people's backs. He talks to people in a way that leads to healing. And we see this over and over again in the Bible. Hurting and broken people have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus that leads to new life. Jesus isn't afraid of a tough conversation. What He is afraid of is that you'll leave this conversation without being changed. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? So Jesus starts this difficult conversation about her life and her past and some of the decisions that she makes. And she responds by bringing up the most controversial thing she can think of. This would be like if you were talking to somebody about faith and you're going through this whole conversation, they're asking good questions, you have answers, and it gets to the point and you say, so do you believe that you have sinned and need a Savior? And they shift their weight for a second and think about it, and they respond by saying, so what do you think about the impeachment hearings? How do you feel about border issues? What's your thoughts on Red for Ed? What does your church believe about abortion and same-sex marriage? What she does is she takes the most controversial topic she can think of and she weaponizes it. And she does that for a very specific reason. It's because any conversation is safer than confronting the thing that's killing you. Any conversation is safer than confronting the thing that's killing you. And some of us do this in different ways. Some of us don't weaponize a controversial topic. Some of us weaponize our emotions. And we say, I'm never going to be good enough. I am not good enough. I can't be good enough. And I need you to listen. None of us are good enough, and that's the point. 
All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's what Jesus stepped into the arena to do. To free us from our sins. And now our response isn't Our response isn't try harder, do better, be better, live perfect. Our response is simply this. I need you, Jesus. I know I'm not good enough. I need you. I can't do this without you. That's where our hope comes from. That's why we can come here and sing the songs of worship that we do because our hope isn't in ourselves Because we know that on our own, our track record is proven over and over again that we won't do it good enough. Our hope isn't in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus. And you can have that hope too. But you've got to stop changing the conversation. And you've got to be willing to confront the thing that's killing you. So the woman says, where do we worship? Jerusalem or this mountain? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the, the time is coming when it doesn't, it's not going to matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will follow, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, well, I, know the, I know the Messiah is coming. I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ, when He comes, He's going to explain everything to us. Now, Jesus, He takes this woman's controversial question and He does answer it, but He does so in a way that leads back to the hope of redemption. He leads back to the gospel. He doesn't ignore a question. He answers it. He says, you're worried about this mountain or that place. I'm telling you, it's spirit and in truth. People who really worship God won't have to worry about where. They'll do it always. And she can't go back on that question because she knows Jesus has done a good job answering it. So she's got one more last-ditch effort. She throws a Hail Mary, and she says this to try and change the subject. Listen, I know the Messiah is coming. When He comes... He'll tell us all about it. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I'm going to start to put all of this together, this this whole conversation. Let's put it all together. Jesus is hot. He's tired. He's sitting in the shade. He's relaxing. He just wants to be alone. I know he just wants to be alone because he sent 12 grown men to go grocery shopping. You ever sent 12 men to go grocery shopping? It's not going to be good. They're going to come back with steaks and cheesecakes and no vegetables. Okay? Only reason you send 12 men grocery shopping is when you want some time alone. So Jesus sends them off, and he's relaxing in the shade all by himself because he's hot and he's tired. And he sees a woman come up, and he knows something needs to happen here. He ends up doing something incredible. 
The Gospel of John is full of these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the resurrection of life. There's seven in total. This is the first one. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And instead of saying that to a group of religious leaders, instead of going even just one chapter backwards, he was talking with one of the most well-respected and influential religious leaders in the country, in Nicodemus. Jesus says, I am the Messiah to a Samaritan woman with a checkered past. Somebody who goes to the well in the middle of the day because of her shame. Listen, this living water that Jesus is talking about is a free gift for everyone. Everyone who wants it. Doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter how good you are. Jesus is a Messiah for you. Listen, Jesus is a Messiah for you. Who came for you. And right now, Jesus is having the same conversation with each of us. We're at the well. And Jesus is hitting our pressure point. So I want to ask you, what do you need to deal with today? What do you need to deal with today? There is only one reason the woman went to the well in the middle of the day, and it was because she was ashamed. And if we thought about it, we could probably all come up with some well that we go to in the middle of the day. We have things we're ashamed of, and when the conversation comes up, we change the subject. What do you need to stop dodging or putting off? Is it some sin in your life? And when it comes up, you say, well, what do you think about this? Is it something in your past that you haven't let go of? Somebody you've hurt? Somebody who's hurt you? And every time it gets close to the surface, you say, but how can God love somebody and still let bad things happen? Maybe it's whether or not you believe in the first place and you keep saying, I'll think about it one day, but I've got lunch plans today. I just tell you, Jesus is ready to talk. Jesus is ready to talk. Men, especially men, women too, but men especially because we don't deal with things. We just push them down and let them slowly kill us. This may be the hardest thing you ever do, but I want you this afternoon to get off somewhere alone, all by yourself. Nobody can hear you and just say out loud, I am struggling with insecurity, pride, lust, I'm angry all the time. Greed. Say it out loud. And understand that you're not talking to a Jesus with great hair who has the perfect profile picture and clean fingernails. You're not talking to somebody who can't help you. You're talking to Jesus who says, I am the Messiah who can give you an identity and soothe the anger and overcome the lust. You're not saying that to a Jesus who takes perfect pictures and has great hair. You're not saying that to a Jesus who's never dealt with problems. You're talking to Jesus who stepped into the arena of life. You're talking to Jesus who is tempted in every way that we are, yet He was without sin. You are talking to Jesus who voluntarily submitted Himself to the death we deserve so that we can be pardoned. You are talking to Jesus. And that matters because He is the Messiah. So if you need to have that conversation today, 
I want to encourage you to do it. Maybe you need to get some more quiet and have that conversation. Or maybe you need to take, just confront the idea that you do believe and that you are ready to commit. You're ready to deal with the reason you're at the well at noon and you're ready to be baptized today and receive living water that will swell up within you for eternal life. If that's you, I want to encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing now.